Well, time to talk tennis, but perhaps uh, there might be uh, more talk on horse racing in this particular time of the year. We welcome uh, Leo Schlink. Morning, Leo. How are you? I'm well, thanks, Andrew. How are you? Oh, very well, thanks. Uh, this time of the year with uh, tennis, Leo, are we sort of gearing ourselves towards the team's events? Is that uh, what's front and centre? It is, yeah. The, uh, the Billie Jean King Cup is uh, not far away next month and also... Um, uh, with Davis Cup looming as well, and um, speaking of teams competition, lo- lots of discussions um, ha- yet to be confirmed, but about the new look event um, in Australia, um, I believe the ATP Tour, which runs the men's mm. side of the things, um, and Davis Cup, run now by the Cosmos Group, um, have come to an agreement, and um, looks like the ATP Cup uh, might have run its race um, in Australia, and um, according to reports, at least, and. Um, might be replaced by uh, a concept called, um, I'm not sure if this is a formal name or not, Mm. the United Cup, which would be a mixed teams event, very similar to Hopman Cup, Mm. um, played across um, uh, the different cities leading into the Australian Open next year. So there's a bit on the agenda, sort of more off uh, the court at the moment with tennis than on it, but there's a few things happening. Emma Raducanu is um, (laughs) part of the company with a fifth coach in 15 months, so that's going to be another little roundabout. Do you know Andrew was telling me he's only had four haircuts in the last 15 months? (laughs) So Emma's had as many coaches as Andrew's had haircuts. You've had as many as four, Andrew. God, you've um, you've done well. (laughs) Well, that's true. (laughs) Now, uh, Leo, the Davis Cup, they seem to have come to an agreement with the ATP as well to uh, to find its place on the calendar. Yeah, so three slots, um, one for the qualification round, which is the closest thing we had to the old system where it was home and away, and, and that was the beauty of Davis Cup uh, for over a century where you have to travel to another country and, and win, and if you could do that, that was pretty much setting up um, a, for a really good campaign. Then the second uh, round, so the three rounds, the second round is is the round robin and then the final round, uh, which will now be played almost certainly for the, the rest of this agreement um, in Europe because of the time zones and the, and the television uh, rights that come from that. So um, it looks like Andrea Gadenzi, um, who runs the ATP Tour now, um, who was a big Davis Cup uh, player and supporter during his playing career, um, has opened up uh, negotiations and they seem to be going pretty well. Leo, you uh, sort of mentioned uh, just when you were talking about this possible new event, the Hopman Cup. Uh, just now that you raise it again, geez, that was a successful sort of concept and ran well in Western Australia, it. didn't it? It did. It was the right place, right time. And um, uh, for the, the original founders of it, um, they did a brilliant job in running it all the way through. Um, and uh, we, we know it was an Australian product that went to the world and um, you know struck an honour of one of the great... Australian tennis mm. figures were the great international figures and um, you think back to 2019 when it was last hurled and um, that, that uh, mixed doubles match that featured um, Roger Federer and Serena Williams yeah. um, it could not have gone out any better and a lot of people have lamented that and said how you know there's a place for it and um, I think people love seeing it um, how it's the age old thing um, this debate about the greatest of all time and there with Serena and Roger on a court, albeit in mixed doubles, but they were out there and um, there was a lot of appeal and and Perth loved it and yes. some of the marketing campaigns they struck, especially Roger over at Rutgers mm, Island yes. with the clockers, that, that was amazing. Mm. Speaking of mixed doubles, it seems as though Rafael Nadal and Gabriela Sabatini are getting together to form a mixed double pair <laughs> for some, some tennis in South America later this yes. year. Um, Gabriella Sabatini is this huge figure still um, in South America and um, Rafa 
loves heading down to South America. He's he's played down there over the years in many different events, and um, no surprise that they've, they've hooked up uh, for this collaboration. But um, yeah, Raf has had a bit on in his own life recently. But um, Gabriella Sabatini, you don't see her very much around the tennis circuit, but when she turns up, she is just totally unchanged and still the incredibly popular person she always was and a fantastic tennis player and um yeah it's great to see rafa getting involved in these things and supporting things and um you know he's he's got his own battles in terms of getting himself right for the australian open and the title defense again uh but great to see him heading back at getting back out there and playing before this season closes I've just looked up there. I see she's uh, 52 now, so they're about the same age, if uh, nothing else. <laughs> Rafa, that's, uh, I tell you what, she's uh, holding up very well for 52. Yes. Looks as though she's uh, yeah, been playing a bit of tennis. <laughs> yeah, she does indeed. Uh, I'll tell you one thing that uh, bobbed up that's happened a couple of times now. I'd be interested in your view. Leo, the uh, Iga Schwantek, who's taken all before her this year, had a wonderful uh, season. But all of a sudden, she seems to have taken up to this sort of waving her hands just before the opposition player hits a ball that uh, is causing some consternation. Have you seen it at all? I have, and it's it's one of the it's, it's probably the, the only thing I dislike um, about the way she goes about it. And um, we've seen it over the years, and um, it's it's up to the returner to play to the service speed, whether it's fast, slow, if it's slow, the umpire can call it whatever. Mm. Um, but, yeah, that business, it's like, just worry about your side of the net, be ready to play and, and get on with it. And um, it's unfortunate because Iga Swantek has had the most incredible year. She's won eight titles. Um, I think she's won something like 63 or four matches, which is the most since Serena, uh, when Serena had uh, that amazing year. And I think it was 2013, she won 11 titles and something like 78 matches. Swantek is just totally dominant. And she's got a rankings lead in, in terms of points. Of 6,000, uh, to put that in context, um, to win a Grand Slam brings 2,000 points. That's how far in front mm. she is. Um, doesn't need to be doing anything that's going to um, bring anything about her into discussion that's not positive because yeah. she is such a positive player. I see she won in San Diego on the weekend, and part of the trophy, you get a surfboard, Andrew. Uh, <laughs> now, Leo knows an awful lot about sport all over the world. What's the surfing community like in Poland, Leo? <laughs> Poland, not so short. San Diego, yes, I think they've got it right there. But, um, but yeah, that was uh, yeah some interesting photos of actually standing on the the, the surfboard post match with the tr the uh, crystal trophy on the other side. But um, yeah, um, there's probably yeah I can I get that that trophy. I'm never quite sure about the one with um, Roger Federer when he was given a cow. cow yeah. Um, yeah, that was pro that's probably the yeah I'd say the clubhouse leader right now. <laughs> Leo, look, our last couple of summers here in Australia with the tennis has been heavily disrupted with COVID. So as it stands now, what, do, what does the summer look like for us? Still taking formation, but I'd imagine it's going to go back to what it was where, um, you know, all roads lead, lead to Melbourne eventually, but um, every state gets a, a bite of it. And I'd imagine that, uh, that there's going to be Queensland, South Australia, um, Hobart. There were recent announcements about that um, and Sydney. Um, so we, we know that the Kion Classic is back as well. So um, it's, it's going to be spread all around. And I, I'd say it's going to be a, a celebration of, of the sport until we get up to January 16 when uh, we start again with the Australian Open 2023. But uh, the details are yet to be uh, confirmed, or at least um, they haven't been made public. But I'd imagine it will go back to what it was. And if the United Cup is there in, uh, and it's, it's ready to go, um, that's going to... You know that's going to be huge as well because 
if that is anything like the ATP Cup was when it first started in Australia, um, it's going to be incredibly popular. It was that ATP Cup. Was it the one they played it in a number of states, didn't they? Was it the one? Or... They did. Yep, yeah, they spread it around, and then they. Uh, I think they had the semi-finals and the, uh, the finals up in Sydney. Um, but yeah, that was, um, and that that worked really well because they they spread the groups around in pools in different cities, so yeah, that's every right. city got to look at it. It was um, great. Yeah, and the criticism was at the time, well, what about the women's side? What's going on there? And if there is a United Cup um, to, about to be presented, um, that answers those questions. Mm. Craig Tiley, who is the uh, the head of Tennis Australia and the Australian Open was asked yesterday about Novak Djokovic, Leo, and he said, Novak's welcome to compete this year at the Australian Open, uh, provided he can obtain a visa. And he said, I'm not getting involved with that. That's something for the government. <laughs> yeah, don't blame him. It's a government issue, just like it was for uh, Djokovic trying to go to the other Grand Slam tournaments. And uh, we know this year he played one event, and that was Wimbledon at the Grand Slams and won it. Um, and um, I think that um, the Australian Open would love to see the, um, the federal government tick off on this and say, right, enough, uh, we're, we're ending the debate on so many levels of COVID right now um, around the place. We've got bigger things to worry about. Um, and uh, I, I would say that uh, the way it seems to be tracking, that that ban will be overturned. And, um, you know, bearing in mind, he, he was given a three-year ban. And uh, I think that... Um, the government will be looking at it right now, and I can't imagine that they would knock him back given how much the world has moved on, or seemingly, since then. Leo, turning our attention to horse racing, we just went through the final field for the Cox Plate for this weekend. We know you're a lover of, of racing, and I would describe you as a traditionalist. You like your distance races. So keeping that in mind, being in Hong Kong last weekend, what were the racing public more interested in with Australian racing? Was it the Caulfield Cup? or the Tab Everest? It was very interesting because judged on turnover, it was a dead heat. Um, the betting through Hong Kong um, was basically 50-50. Um, of course, the Everest was an hour before and uh, it, was, it was run at one fifteen Hong Kong time and then an hour later, the Caulfield Cup. Um, but I would say because Joyful Fortune was in the Everest um, and Hong Kong is a speed town when it comes to its races, um, it's the way the races are run, not just I'm talking about distances there, the tempo was always on. Joyful Fortune, a, a horse that was trained in Hong Kong by uh, David Hall and Tony Cruz, um, went back down to Sydney and, and competed in the race. But, you know, there's this fascination about Nature Strip is a huge figure in Hong Kong as well. And... Um, yeah, I would say that Hong Kong is, um, even though they, they love their distance races as well, but they're more into the, the sprint contest. So I would say that there was probably more discussion around the Everest, but the turnover on both those races in the in the Jockey Club simulcast was pretty much line ball. And what did you make of the Everest, uh, Leo, in terms of the race itself? Oh, I thought it was fabulous. Um, for what Giga Kick was able to do um, and where he came from yeah. uh, in terms of his career and for Clayton Douglas at that stage, um, brilliant ride by Craig Williams as well, just um, understood what he had underneath him and um, I thought Nature Strip ran really, really well also. Um, but, yeah, um, just getting a bit of a taste of the atmosphere um, with pre-race and the vibe that was there with, I think, 46,000 people. Okay. That's exactly what Australian racing, and, and in particular Sydney racing, needs. And it's a concept, the Everest, that just continues to grow. And um, people are looking at it from all over the world. The slot race, do you think that will be adopted in, in Hong Kong somewhere on the calendar, Leo? 
I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't think so. It's kind of, but you never know. You never know. But um, it's something like uh, I would say this place, in terms of innovation, it respects its tradition. But in terms of being open to ways of improvement, that's pretty much the the club's mission statement. And um, um, you know, this is um, recently there have been um, permissions given for owners based overseas to race horses in Hong Kong. Only only a very select uh, group, uh, but that's the first time that's happened. But um, you know, to own a winning racehorse in Hong Kong is a massive amount of pride for the, those concerned. And um, if you watch the telecast, you after every single race, there's a presentation, and you never see happier people down there doing it. But um, speaking of Hong Kong racing, the entries closed um, last night for the international entries, so it's going to be fascinating to see who's in that list, um, especially from Australia, but um, ahead of the international races in December for Longines. But I'd imagine there will be some very good uh, entries from Australia and also from Japan, as, as well as Europe. Um, that'll be Hong Kong's chance to um, relaunch as a city after COVID, and um, the uh, international races will be open to international visitors as well. So uh, everyone's super excited about that. I sense from what you're saying, and given the amount of money sloshing around in Hong Kong, Leo, that uh, if a slot race did start, the slots would be sold pretty quickly. You wouldn't uh, have any trouble selling them off. There's uh, so much support up here, um, and you know there's always a, a thirst to get the best horses in the world here, mm. an ambition. And um, you know you you see the sales recently in, in uh, Sydney, and the number of Hong Kong trainers who are down there, and they've been uh, unable to travel for a couple of years because of COVID. Now they are. Um, I don't. You know we're going to see some um, some really well-bred horses coming up here, and they love nothing more than getting the world-class performed horses up here as well. So. Mm. Uh, don't be surprised to see a horse such as Nature Strip among the nominations for the, um, the the sprint in December. You've got a couple of uh, what we like to call match races coming up potentially, Leo, there in Hong Kong. Golden 60 taking on California Spangle. Are we expecting that in the next couple of weeks? That's um, well. That's potentially down for the end of November, 20th of November, uh, the Jockey Club Mile. Um, and the other horse that's in the reckoning there is Romantic Warrior, who uh, won the Derby last year and went from an unraced to um, winning a, a Group One against open class horses at the end of the year, uh, the end of the season. So that's looming as a, a really, really big day. And that's the it's called Trials Day. They they have the sprint as well. Um, so the two really big races that day. But also then, if everything went well there, um, they would again clash. Um, in the Hong Kong Mile, the Longines Hong Kong Mile, um, on December 11. Um, and that's the race that Golden 60 has dominated, but he's dominated this race as well. He, he basically dominates everything unless you get him uh, on a wet track where he's been caught out um, a couple of times. But, um, yeah, that shapes as a fantastic race because Francis Loy, Golden 60's trainer, has already made it clear that while he's getting ready for that race, he's actually going to trial this morning at Sha Tin Golden 60, that the race he's really looking forward to um, is obviously the the big mile on December 11 and um, the race at, on November 20 will be one to get him ready for it. And Leo, uh, you obviously uh, keep a very close eye on things from over there. You got a sort of a fancy for the Cox Plate or are you still uh, ruminating? Still digesting the draw, okay. but um, I think um, the weather forecast is a worry um, and it's due to hit Friday night into the, well, Friday afternoon in, into the evening. A lot more rain for Melbourne. Um, that being the case, they race on Friday night. Do they open up the track? How does it impact uh, for Saturday? I think last year, from memory, um, there was it was pretty wet. Animo 
ran a phenomenal race um, at this stage. It's, it's difficult to see anything beating him, but let's see what the rain does. And, uh, and if it comes earlier, um, it could change things up fairly dramatically. Leo, uh, another part of the world, Royal Ascot, you've been there before and I know you love the event. It seems as though King Charles does not have the love of racing that his mum had. Uh, the Queen was a big breeder. I think she's got over 30 broodmares and she usually has 30 yearlings every every racing season. With, uh, yeah, with, with the King's intentions to get out of racing but still keep his presence felt there at Royal Ascot, will that, will that have an impact there of racing in England, do you think? She, the Queen was, as everyone knows, was a massive supporter and uh, anyone who witnessed her joy of the day that she had one of her favourite horses win at Royal Ascot would understand that and this is a big concern for uh, racing in, in Britain uh, because they've lost this colossal figure in support and now there's a bit of uncertainty and he's already had a winner um, in the Royal Colours um, since his, his mother's death but um, I, th I think it would be a worry and um, I think politically it wouldn't be the best thing to happen if he just suddenly quit all the horses and I don't think that'll happen uh, but I think people are looking at it anxiously um, in Britain to see what's going to happen here um, but yeah it, it would be a shame I and mean, tradition is such a huge part and we all know that the foundation of Ascot um, has a, a, a royal base so um, I'm sure he's aware of it and in these days of briefings and, you know, a thousand people around him telling him what to do, mm. I can't imagine that he'd quit all the horses. But, um, you know, there's several horses that were raced by the Queen. There's a couple that have come through Hong Kong, uh, gone on to have very good careers out, out of the Royal Colours. Let's hope whatever happens to these 12, whether they're, whether breeding stock or racing stock, that they, they go on and find good homes. And just a final one, did you wear the bow tie to the races on the weekend? <laughs> Uh, it was obligatory, yeah. Um, um, there was a, for those who forgot, and thankfully I didn't, um, there was a, a couple of boxes of bow ties inside the scales area, and, uh, they're pretty much a headlock for anyone who didn't turn up without one on, and, uh, they were sent straight into a, a, a room to put one on. So, uh, it was, um, yeah, everyone turned up, and, um, gotta say that of all the jockeys and horsemen in Hong Kong, no one does it better than Alexi Bedell, the Frenchman. He should be on the, he should be on a catwalk somewhere. <laughs> what a surprise that is. Good on you, Leo. Yeah, exactly. No worries. Always a See pleasure. See you guys. Chat next week. Thanks, Gary. Paul. <laughs>